Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. Hi, I'm Jackie Broad. I'm an ARC Future Fellow at Monash University, Melbourne, and I'm listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR. I am convinced that biology should be taught as a course in human-animal relationships, not as a study of dead bodies or caged victims. Linda Hogan, Waking Up the Rake, in Lorraine Anderson, Sisters of the Earth, 1991. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. And I'm speaking to Dr. Norva Lowe, who is from the philosophy department at La Trobe University. Welcome to the show. Hello. Good to talk to you. <laughs> I, what was it that inspired your interest in studying animal ethics, empathy and emotion? Mm, I think it is... Um the possibility, actually, I think it's a wonderful possibility of interspecies friendship. That is, um, friendship between um, individual animals from different species. It's the possibility of this kind of friendship that um, has inspired my interest um, in placing empathy and emotion at the core of animal ethics. So people who care about the environment and people who care about animal welfare sometimes have conflicting views on policy matters. You know, an example of this is in order to maintain the health and integrity of some ecosystems, large numbers of animals, well, so-called pests or feral animals, are killed every year and often not very humanely. In Australia, kangaroos are referred to as pests, whereas farm animals and never referred to as pests, are they? Yes, that's right. I mean, the um, concept of the pest species, I think, uh, is really interesting. I mean, pest is um, essentially a relational concept. That is, calling a being a pest suggested um, its existence or activities are damaging another being's interests. So, I mean, there are no pests as such or pests in themselves, but only pests in relation to others. So, when we say that kangaroos are pests in certain areas, sometimes koala are taken as pests in some areas. So, whose interests are we talking about when we call population of these animals pests? Especially when these are, uh, in these cases, they are indigenous animals. Mm, that that's right. I mean, rabbits are actually called pests, but they're a introduced species. But when an animal who is in its 
own country is actually being called a pest because it's being a pest to other introduced animals such as farm animals really doesn't make much sense, does it? Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. I mean, um, they, they, what, why? I mean, I mean, are people calling kangaroos pests have a view that uh, farm animals have some intrinsic worth that is uh, worthier than kangaroos or koalas when their interests are competing with each other? I, I don't think so. It wouldn't be a sensible interpretation of the of the situation. I mean, uh, the reading, I think, should be it is the industry's uh, interest, economic, that is people's economic interests, including uh, jobs. It's these interests that are being threatened. It is in, re- in relation to people's uh, interests that uh, these animals are regarded as pests. Yeah, I suppose if the same kind of reasoning was applied to humans, they would be the biggest, the greatest threat to the ecosystems. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's right. Um, It's interesting. Um, When I was, I often teach a first year uh, subject called critical thinking, where I get a student to debate about... um, to compare the practice of uh, kangaroo culling and uh, whaling. I mean, um, quite often the students will come up with the response, say, um, kangaroo culling um, is right, but whaling is wrong um, because the kangaroo overpopulation in certain areas actually damaging the ecosystem, damaging the environment, whereas uh, whales do not pose uh, environmental threats. Mm, but I suppose it's people that are harming the environment a lot more. Yeah, with exactly. So I'm really glad that you are... You, you, I mean, if we apply the same logic, if it is really the interest of the environment itself that's at stake, it is in relation to the environment's interest that we call certain species pests, then um, farm animals, uh, I mean, as you mentioned, human, the, the human species itself is responsible for the greatest harm to the environment. Yeah, the the human species appeared to be denying that they're part of the animal kingdom. The assumption or um, it is a very common view is human species is, is the cream of the the world of living creatures. There is some very special worth and status of the human being that put them, elevate them above uh, all uh, the other species. We, we need to look after human beings, uh, especially over and above uh, other species. Um, yeah, that, this is certainly, uh, I mean, most people believe that. Yes. So how might emotions break down boundaries between human and non-human animals? I'm thinking... Um, Maybe we should start, I mean, in order to break down the boundary between one group and another group, I think we always start with the familiar and think about whether there is some similarity between what we are familiar with and what we are not yet so familiar with. So in terms of, uh, say, ethics and values, can we, I think, uh, an easier way um, is to think about things that people already uh, value, people already find it uh, meaningful. 
uh, to their life and try to see whether there is some uh, strong uh, connection that we can make between these things that people already value to uh, things that uh, we think uh, people may expand their valuing into. Why is it that farm animals are virtually invisible to the majority of the population, whereas cats and dogs enjoy such a privileged status? Most people uh, will agree with this. I mean, um, if there is anything that can make our life worth living, uh, friendship would be one of uh, these greatest goods that gives meaning to our life, right? Yes, yeah, I mean, I mean, friends are um, handy to have. I mean, they support and comfort us when we are in need. But um, if someone considers um, his friends merely as something useful to have, mere as mere instruments or means to benefit himself, then this person, the Aristotle will say, is missing one of the greatest goods in human life. So true friendship, I mean, the wife, Aristotle tells us, is uh, one where friends care for and commit to each other as ends in themselves. Uh, They love and value each other for each other's sake. Friendship of uh, this kind gives meaning uh, to our life. So in terms of animal ethics, I think if we can find some uh, some connection between, uh, say, the value of friendship and uh, our treatment of uh, animals, of non-human species. I mean, in, ter- in practical terms, it is uh, easier to move people and influence their behavior. Right, so it, it's because people are people have built up a friendship with pets they live with, cats and dogs, and they yeah. they don't have that same connection towards farm animals because. Yeah, well, occasionally somebody will have a, a pet chicken or a, a pet sheep, but it's fairly unusual, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, earlier you asked, I mean, why do uh, city-dwelling people uh, have m- much more emotional response to uh, their pets? I mean, uh, clearly it's because they live with them every day. Form a bond with them and have that friendship. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I mean, empathy, this natural mechanism in us and in many species of other animals is responsible for the communication of emotions. So it is through, uh, say, say when, when you uh, experience an emotion naturally, your emotion is expressed through uh, your gesture, uh, your, in your voice, in your eyes, the way you move yourself. Uh, it is by me seeing you acting in these ways that I can uh, infer or imagine that you are experiencing certain emotions. And if especially I have myself uh, previously ex- experienced uh, similar, uh, the same kind of emotions, then by observing you uh, experiencing these emotions, uh, my memory of my own experience uh, um, is reawakened. And uh, that's why, um, say, when we watch a movie, when we see someone crying in a certain uh, sad situation, and if we have been in similar situation before, we might uh, quite easily uh, start uh, to have wet eyes ourselves. So it is how um, the communication of emotion works. Um, But then if you don't have contact, 
you don't have communication and you don't have communication of emotions. So it's rather like, um, uh, say, people are in refugee centers. If uh, we do not get to know, get to see, get to uh, observe um, uh, about uh, their, their, their daily living, uh, their emotions, then how can how can uh, empathy work? The first uh, criteria for empathy or communication to work is the establishment of contact first. So um, going back to your question about uh, pets as opposed to farm animals, it is, I think, uh, because of the reduced amount of contact between uh, uh, people living in the city and uh, farm animals um, that um, um, they do not, I mean, uh, um, they do not develop a such strong emotion, if any at all, uh, towards uh, farm animals. Right, you're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, and I'm speaking to Dr. Norva Lowe about animal ethics, empathy, and emotion. Now, buying free-range eggs would be more ethical than buying caged eggs, because, uh, but because they're more expensive, many people would opt for the cheaper option. So, how does this thinking reflect reflection motivate people to act differently? Mm. Um, yeah, that's right. I think. Um when people are presented uh, with uh, some scientific findings uh, showing that oh, animals do feel pain and they uh, their health decline and they do suffer under uh, 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 conditions in uh, in certain farms and uh, uh, and uh, free range uh, animals uh, live uh, more uh, better better more healthy life i mean people do accept that and uh, uh i think many people would agree that uh, it is more ethical to consume free range eggs uh than cage eggs so um i would say uh most people have some motivation some degree of motivation um to uh, uh but to to do the uh, ethical thing but the question is, they do not at the end end up doing it. It is because there are uh, other motivations uh, directing uh, uh, people in opposite direction. Obviously, uh, dollar sign uh, uh, and com- competing uh, uh, needs. Uh, they may need to uh, save the money or uh, save the money for other things. Uh, they want to do so. Uh, so the question may not be whether people are motivated, but whether people are strongly motivated enough. And um, I think emotion and feeling um, is uh, the key to motivation here. So the question then becomes: How do you increase people's feeling? Uh, how do you uh, uh, make the emotional communi- the communication of emotion? more effective uh, uh, between animal and people. Uh, that is uh, the key to behavioural change. Yeah, so if our emotions are the foundations of moral values, 
does that imply that ethics and morality are completely subjective and relative? No, it doesn't imply that. I mean, for example, um, many people would uh, think uh, taste is something very subjective, right? Wouldn't if emotion uh, is a core element or core factor in determining whether something is right or wrong, then wouldn't it be like taste that you like chocolate ice cream, but I like vanilla ice cream, so it's up to the individual and relative. Uh, wouldn't that make ethics and morality uh, kind of a very shaky matter? Um, I don't think so, uh, because I think taste and emotions have uh, their own uh, objective uh, standards to a certain extent. Say, uh, for example, uh, very few people, if any at all, would enjoy the taste of rotten flesh, for example. I mean, the, this is a matter of taste too, but uh, I think there is uh, some uh, uh, standard and universal patterns of what kind of things that people have uh, certain emotions towards or have uh, a positive taste uh, towards and what kind of things people naturally or more naturally uh, feel uh, repelled by. Do you think that science has played a role in animal ethics? Yes, I think so. Um, I think um, if empathy, I mean, um, is uh, the key to uh, ethics and not not only to uh, our judgment about uh, what is good or what's right to do, but also to the motivation of our uh, behaving according to uh, what we judge. I mean, if empathy and emotion are the, are the core, then whatever that can um, make the working of empathy more effective will help people to act in accordance with their moral judgments more effectively. In the case of empathy, um, I think a lot of uh, people already uh, 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 noticed that it's, it is easier to empathize with people you find more similar to you than people who you find radically different. When science tells it, when uh, we have increasingly uh, scientific uh, uh, findings that draw us in evolutionary term, and uh, our uh, uh, we are in a continuum of uh, the, the evolvement uh, with other animals. Uh, when there are more findings uh, showing the similarities uh, between us and animals, I think uh, when we understand that and take that seriously, our empathy will work more strongly. Yeah, sure. Uh, do you think that the animal rights movement has contributed towards people's understanding of non-human animal rights? The animal rights movement, I mean, uh, certainly uh, it has promoted uh, the idea of, uh, to, to, the, to the general uh, public, it has uh, spread the concern uh, about animal welfare. So I, I suppose maybe uh, maybe 30 or 40 years ago, you'll be regarded as some kind of uh, radical uh, if you uh, talk about animal rights or welfare. 
But now, I mean, even big supermarkets uh, uh, take animal welfare apparently uh, seriously. Uh, so I think the movement uh, has definitely contributed a lot to public awareness and care about uh, the issue. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the program today. Mm, thank you, Beth. And I've been speaking to Dr. Norva Lowe uh, from the philosophy department of La Trobe University. Hi, I am Kate Rigby, Professor of Environmental Humanities at Monash University, and I'm a fan of 3CR Community Radio, which is 8.55 on your AM dial, and I recommend in particular Radical Philosophy.